Could you turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 129? And we are continuing this uh, series that we're doing in um, uh, discipleship uh, in an instant society. Because basically, there's an awful lot in the Bible that just says, encourages us to keep going, to persevere, to keep, keep going. And this is a psalm that really helps us learn how, we, how do we keep going when things aren't going our way, when, things are really, when we're struggling, how do we go just keep going. So I think we're going to read it in, um, in the NLT. And then I'll, would anyone like to, does anyone like reading the Bible in the NLT? Anyone like to have a go? Maria's got an accent, therefore she can't do it. <laughs> does anybody else apart from Maria who has got an accent... Okay, Sharon, you've got to do it, but what you've got to do it in a Welsh accent, please. <laughs> no, you can just do it as you want. Psalm 129. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me. Let all Israel repeat this. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me, but they have never defeated me. My back is covered with cuts, as if a farmer had ploughed long furrows. But the Lord is good. He has cut me free from the ropes of the ungodly. May all who hate Jerusalem be turned back in shameful defeat. May they be as useless as grass on a rooftop, turned yellow when only half grown, ignored by the harvester, despised by the binder. And may those who pass by refuse to give them this blessing. The Lord bless you. We bless you in the Lord's name. Fantastic. There's some fruity verses in there, aren't there? Mm. I think there's some verses we'll just ignore, you know, because they're a bit too awkward. Okay, so here we go. Let's read it again. I'll read it in the ESV this time. So the, the NLT, the New Living Translation, is the paraphrase, the ESV. Um, is a, probably a slightly more accurate, but it's, sometimes it's harder to read. And then it says this, Psalm 129. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say. Greatly they've afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. But the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. Let them be like grass on the housetop, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, oh, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. It's not straightforward, but we're going to dig in this because I think there are some key things in here that will help us press on and keep going in our faith. Just put your hands up if you uh, know the name Mike Pilavachi. A number of us will know the name uh, of Mike Pilavachi. If you don't know, let me just explain. Mike Pilavachi uh, led uh, the church Soul Survivor in Watford, just you know, down the road from here. And he was also, he established the Soul Survivor uh, Festival where like thousands of teenagers would be gathering um, every summer and gave their lives to Christ. Now, it, it, it has come to light that apparently Mike lost his way some time ago. There's reports of him building inappropriate relationships with some of the younger guys uh, who are on the Soul Survivor team. And I think the reality is that 
Mike lost sight of what was important, or perhaps more importantly, he lost sight of who was important. And you know, that is why the Bible just keeps having this encouragement. It's saying, I want you to keep going. I want you to press on. I want you to understand all that I have for you. And it's a key part of the Bible. All over the Bible, it says, no, keep, keep encouraging you to keep going. And I think it seems actually probably that for some reason, Mike didn't quite get that. I think the fallout of what's happened with, with Mike Pilavachi is going to be quite immense. I've, I've spoken to a number of people who feel quite shocked. They feel quite betrayed. And, and actually, some, sometimes, actually, they feel quite angry. You know, there was this leader who was up on the stage saying things and lots of people and dramatic sort of like changes. But actually, underneath, he hadn't learned what it was to persevere. I know a few people, uh, a couple of young people that I've spoken to, and they're thinking, I don't know, can I trust leaders? You know, there's a, there's a, there's a consequence to this. And, and just so you know, we, as elders, we chatted this through. We thought, oh, we've got to be really honest and upfront. And we got to think, okay, what are some of the lessons that we can learn? And we had an elders meeting a couple of weeks ago. And we thought, okay, there are like four or five things that actually we can learn. Two of them I just want to mention, first of all, is that this. Tr only trust leaders that point you to Jesus. If you come away from a meeting and you know more about the leader than you do about Jesus, be very careful. But if you see a leader that is trying to submit their lives to Christ, then that, that you know, you're, you're on stronger ground. That, trust me, there are no, like, infallible leaders, sinless leaders in the world. They, they just, it won't happen. And if we're putting our trust in leaders, we're going to be in trouble. But put your trust in leaders that are looking to Jesus. Don't look to a leader and then through them look to Christ. You need a leader and we're all standing the same way. We're saying, Jesus, we love you and we love you alone. The second thing that just we want to bear in mind is actually we need to appoint some new elders at some point soon. Because uh, Andy Cooley is going. We had three elders. Andy Cooley was going. So I mean, we've got two, just me and Jerry. And I think, oh... That what, one of the issues was with Mike Pilavachi is that he had a team that nobody was asking them awkward questions. And he was, he was the big man, you know, and everyone thought, oh, if, it's okay, it's Mike. And you just think, you can't do that. You can't do that. So team, how do we persevere in our faith? How many of us have got friends that have given up their faith? I had dinner on, um, Jill and I had dinner with a, a really old school friend. I was, a, well, really old. He is very old because we were at school together, you know. <clears throat> but uh, it's an old school friend of mine. And, um, yeah, I think he was the one that, he got me going to Christian camps when I was, when I was a teenager. We were quite roguish together. I don't know where he is in his faith. But I'm, I'm not sure it's where it was. But I think we've all had friends that have, I don't know, got caught up in life. And how can we not give up on Jesus? What can we learn from Psalm 129? The first thing is this. I think go on to the next one. Is it just says, I was greatly affected from my youth. And the plowers plowed upon my back. I think the first thing we just need to say, if we are going to persevere, we need to recognize, do you know what? Life is not always straightforward. 
Life is not straightforward and life is not always easy. And the, the psalmist has got this picture of like, Pete, can I ask you a favor? I'm not, I don't know if I can, no, no. I just, okay, imagine Pete lying down here. Okay, I'm not gonna ask you to lie down here. <laughs> Pete is lying down here, and then you've got this farmer and this oxen with this big sort of like plow, and it's right there's Pete. <coughs> Get that in there. <coughs> yep, nice bit of blood, flesh all there. Turn around, all right, come on cows, yep, off you yep. <coughs> just ripping Pete's back up like this. And that is what, that is what the, the psalmist is saying. That is what my life has been like. This farmer just going backwards and forwards on my back, ripping the flesh off me. That's what my life has felt. It hasn't been nice. It has not been a good and easy time. Time and ten I filled, pulled apart. And some, we may feel that that is what life is like. I can't quite keep up with the demands of my job and my family, or I've got a boss that's really unsympathetic, or I've got a neighbor that hates me, or I thought, I don't know, I thought the relationships would be different, or I thought finance would be different. I thought, my I, thought I would live my life in a way that is different from now. But the Bible talks a lot about perseverance. And, and I think sometimes we, we just expect that life is going to be really, really easy. The Bible never, the Bible promises that your life will be blessed the Bible does not promise necessarily that your life will be easy. And they're really, they're quite difficult, different things. You know, okay, just for example, let's look at Jesus. Where did he start his ministry? He started, what, the first thing he did was 40 days in the wilderness without eating. Okay, that's bad enough. Just 40 days without eating. In the wilderness, praying and fasting, and then at the end, the the most underestimated verse in the whole Bible, and at the end he was hungry. I bet he was starving! But he, like all this, and then whilst he was there, what happened? Satan just came and tempted him all the time. I want you to do this, if you just do this, then the whole world will worship you. And it started with an incredible trial. And where did it end? It ended with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, I, I don't think I can do this. You've got to let me off this one. I don't think I can go through what you want me to go through. And yet he says, but not my will, but yours be done. There's this constant sense of, as you know, there is a place of suffering. The Apostle Paul, we read these verses every now and again, they're quite, they're quite fun to read. This is what Paul said when people started moaning about him. They said um, about people who are confronting Paul, he said, are they servants of Christ? Well, I tell you what, I'm a better one. And I'm talking like a madman here, but anyway, here we go. For greater labors, I've had far more imprisonments with countless beatings, uh, often near to death. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the world. It goes on and on and on and on. He, like, his life was not easy. And yet he learnt something about persevering. Sometimes I, I do, I struggle when people say, give your life to Christ and your life will be so much better and so much easier. And you can conflate, you know, being blessed and being easier. And they're not the same. They're not the same. Sometimes there are struggles that we have to go through. But then it says this, that other 
Um, no, sorry, just go. It says the, lo uh, sorry, yeah, the Lord has cut, in verse 4. Sorry, I, don't, I hadn't highlighted it actually, Diana, sorry. Just go back one. It says the Lord had, has cut the cords of the wicked. I don't know, when it says the Lord has, I don't know whether they're the cords of the plough going up and down this guy's back, or whether it's the cords that sort of like contained and trapped people. And there are all sorts of things that can contain and trap us. But it says the Lord has broken them. Something has happened. And what it is saying is this, that the issues that you have faced do not necessarily have to define you. We can be free from the circumstances that press into us. Jesus is saying, no, I can cut those cords. I'm not, and it's like, if you've got, like, Pete, Pete lying here, and then the farmer, he's got this, like, oxen coming up with a plough. But it's like the cords have been cut. The farmer might still be going up and down, but somehow the plough isn't digging in any longer. And we can be going through all of these things, but they don't have the power to shape us and to ruin us. Something happened. We're going to find out what it is. But before we do that, next one, thank you. The psalmist, these are some verses that it's easier to ignore. It would be a lot happier to, because basically he just goes on a little bit of a rant. They're a little bit awkward. Should we just skip over this part of the psalm? Yeah, let's move on to the nice bits. <laughs> he says this, May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. Let them be like grass on the housetop which withers before it grows up. And then it says, then a reaper that doesn't collect things, or the binder that doesn't have anything in his arms. And then he's using that verse 8 in a mocking way. He says, nor to those who pass. He's saying, this is what you want people to say, but they're not going to say it to you. Why? Why is this happening, God? I want you to smite those people down. I don't want you to bless them. He is angry. He's resentful and he's slightly vindictive. And the thing is, we can't excuse this psalmist, excuse the psalmist saying, well, he wasn't a Christian yet. It was the Old Testament. They're allowed to be sort of like vengeful and spiteful and smiteful. No, because it says, this is what it says in Leviticus. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in Proverbs it says, don't laugh when your enemy falls. Don't crow over his collapse. When Jesus said, love your enemies, that was nothing new to the people in the Old Testament. They knew that's what God had really called them to do. The point of it is that this psalmist was not a perfect man. He, is, he was not a perfect person. He was flawed, just like I am and just like you are. And the other thing is, he was flawed, but he was also honest. <laughs> he was really honest. And he said, I, I just, I do not like this. God, you have to do something about this situation. I can't just keep going with all these people just like ripping my life up. God, you have to do something. But that's the point of the psalm. That's, that's the whole point of this. The psalm was written to God and he was honest to say, God, would you please come and sort something out? And sometimes we might, if we want to learn the art of persevering, we might have to learn the art of being honest towards God and say, God, this is not good and I don't like it. And smite those people with your mighty smiter. <laughs> you, but we might have to do that. I remember probably about 18 months ago, um, there was a, a family that was in the church, Bryn and Sandy Morgan and their kids. And they were, I knew that they were like, they were uh, moving, they were moving down to Win 
Winchester. I confused Winchester and Chichester. But anyway, they were going, and then we knew that Andy Cooley was moving. We thought, oh, okay, all right. And then there were some other people who thinking, oh, they're going. And I was just thinking, God, I don't know if I can carry on doing this. All these like really great people have been in the church for years, and they're all really good reasons. You know, the Cooleys going to Manchester, they're going to go and plant a church. It's amazing. But it's actually quite difficult. And I thought, oh, God, why? I don't know if I can carry on doing this with people going. But the point of it is that I didn't just moan to myself. I did go back to God. And then, as I've talked about countless times, and you'll all be bored and sick to death of it, is, but I read the verses in Matthew 6, before the Lord's Prayer, when it said, before you ask for anything, the Lord knows what you need. <laughs> so I was trying to learn how to pray about all these things. And I said, God, I think, rah, rah, stop it. And then I, I read these verses, and I just felt Jesus, look, I know what you need, Duncan. I know what you need. And I'm not, I'm not joking, but in the, in the following six months, so many people came in with extraordinary gifts. And you know, and, we, then it, and you may be somebody here who's come in in the last year. But you, you are an answer to my <laughs> ranting before God. And going back to that promise that says, no, but the Lord knows what you need. And I'd encourage us, sometimes I think it's, it is a risk, to be honest. No, it, no, I'm saying it, to be honest, it takes a risk. Because you have to say to God, I do not like this, and it feels wrong. And it will take a risk, sometimes, to say to somebody else, God, no, to say to some, a friend, I do not like this, you have to help me with this. But I'd encourage you to say, be honest before the Lord. Now we come to the last bit, the solution. How do we persevere? Just can we go to the, oh yeah. It says, yet they have not prevailed against me because the Lord is righteousness. The point of it is, the way that you and I can persevere is to know this, that it is not about you sticking with God. Just so you know, that's not the point. You do not have to, it's because, God sticks with you. That's the whole point. He has decided that he will stick with you. Righteous, when it talks about the Lord is righteous, it's talking about this right relationship that you have between the creator and the created. And the message version of that verse says, but the Lord, but God wouldn't put up with it. He sticks with us. The reason that, that I can persevere is because God has said, Duncan, I am not going to leave you. No matter how much of an idiot you are sometimes, and no matter how much you don't trust me, I am not going to leave you. I am never going to forsake you. I will be with you. Just read the book of Jeremiah. If you've got a long time, read the book of Jeremiah. The people of Israel just constantly turning away from the Lord. And God gets angry and he gets upset, but he ultimately comes back and says, no, but I will restore my people. God is true to his promises. He is dependable. He is there for us. Um, can you go on to the next one, Diana? So this is Eugene Peterson that, that wrote the book that we're building this uh, series on. He said this, the central reality for Christians is the personal 
unalterable, persevering commitment that God makes to us. Perseverance is not the result of our determination. It is the result of God's faithfulness. We survive in the way of faith, not because we have extraordinary stamina, but because God is righteous, because God sticks with us. And if our problems loom larger and larger and we're thinking more about, thinking about our motives and we're talking about our emotions and all those things, but instead we need to say, no, God will never leave us. He will be faithful. And the Bible is full, crammed full of people that made all sorts of like really silly, bad mistakes in life. But because they had chosen to follow God, God stays with them. I, don't, I, haven't, got the, no, I haven't got these verses up. There's this, letter, this extraordinary letter to, uh, that, uh, letter to the Hebrews. And this is the definition of perseverance from there. It says this, strip down start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. And he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God, where you find yourselves Sorry, when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility that he ploughed through, and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. The only way that you and I can persevere is by knowing this, that God will never leave us. And when I know that God will never leave me, I think, oh, do you know what? I can stick with him because it's not down to me. It's down to the work that God was doing. And then when, in this letter to the Hebrews, that, that, that the next verse on, there were some people saying, yeah, but it is still really hard. It's still really difficult. I'm not really sure that I can keep going. And then the writer to the Hebrews, he says, look, I've had enough. <laughs> Get a grip. He says this, in all this, this is Hebrews uh, 12, verse 4. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through. All that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? He is with you. God is with you. So, just to finish, I just want to finish and maybe give one or two practical pointers. Number one, we are not promised a life that is free of pain and struggle. And sometimes, what I have learnt is, I just have to do the right thing when I don't feel, feel like it. <laughs> you know, emotions are a useful indicator of, of life. They are useful but they're a really bad, sometimes, indicator of what's the right thing to do. Hands up if sometimes you don't feel like coming to church. Am I allowed to say that? Yes. Yes. I know, sometimes I don't. But I think I just made a decision that it's the right thing to do. Sometimes, first thing in the morning, I'd like to go in my garden and look at my vegetables and water them. 
because they're, they're quite nice. I quite like watching them. When it's a sunny morning, just go out there, potter around. <laughs> I just like doing it. But early before work, I think, no, I've, I've made a decision. I'm just going to read my Bible. Going to read my Bible. I don't know, there are some things that just, I think, like life, life group. Actually, we're, we're really blessed with an amazing life group. And, you know, sometimes you think, oh, actually, I don't actually feel with life group because people come and we, we eat and it's great, but there's something about fellowship with just one another. You think, no, this is a good thing. We just do it. We're not promised a life. Firstly, we're not pr promised a life that's easy, but sometimes we just have to do the right thing. The second thing is, I have to be honest. I've learned to persevere by being honest with God and with others about the struggle. Sometimes I, I worship Jesus when I don't feel like it. Because I think what I've learned is that feelings follow decisions rather than decisions following feelings. And sometimes I can worship myself into a place of worship. And sometimes I just choose. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to worship you. I don't... And then gradually as I make a choice, God breaks in. And there's a new wave of glory. And I think, oh God, I've learned what it is to not be defined by these things. And then I feel, oh, I've learned perhaps just one more step in, in persevering. God, please, I don't want to hear any more stories of like Mike Pillabash, I don't want to be Mike Pillabash. I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. And I want, whenever you come into this church, I want all of us to see Jesus. I want us to be standing, facing the same way towards Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our peace. In him and in him alone. And I think I need to be honest. I need to be honest with my sin. I tell you what, sin will rob the ability to persevere massively. It, will, it just will. Because you think, oh, what's the point? I'm really rubbish. I'm really, there's no point. I'll just hold back. I'll just sort of like coast along for a little bit. I think, no, I can't do that. I can't do it. I have to come back. I have to be really short accounted with God and say, God, I'm sorry for doing that. And do you know what? The thing is, his character is always to do what? To have mercy. Always. That's what he always does when we come back to him. If you confess your sin, God is what? He's faithful and just. And he will forgive you your sin. And he will always purify you. But we just need, I need to be right. But that sin will stop me persevering with the Lord. And then lastly, and probably most importantly of all, it's not about me sticking with God. It's about God sticking with me. It is not about you being strong-minded, determined, get through this just look to Jesus he will never ever leave you I am hidden in Christ <laughs> I love it I'm hidden in Christ when Jesus when the heavenly father looks down and he says oh is that Duncan yeah mm. yes look at that been sinning again <laughs> smite him <laughs> He looks down and he doesn't see that. He sees that I'm hidden in Christ. When he looks down there, he says, oh, the righteousness of Christ has clothed me. Have I done that? All I've done is said, Jesus, yes to you. All I've said is, Jesus, I believe in you. That is all I've done. 
And he comes and he says, no, I'm going to clothe you in my righteousness. Please do not think that being a Christian is making yourself good. It's about saying, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And you'll be clothed in his righteousness. Simply keeping our eyes together on Christ. I'm going to finish. Um, Mike Pilavachi was a big leader. But every single one of us are called to be men and women and young people that lead somebody else closer to Christ. And to do that means we need to persevere, to keep going. And what we're going to do now is we're going to take, uh, take communion. So we've got these little bits of sort of ribenery thing and bread that represent Jesus' body and blood. And the reason that we're taking these is because we're saying, Jesus, you are at the center. It's not me. It's not the church. It's nobody else. Jesus, you are the center of my life. And so in a moment, I'm gonna, it, we're going to come down and we'll take it. And then I think if we come back to our seats, we'll try and take it together if that's okay. But let me just pray that the Holy Spirit like, falls on us so that when we take this bread and drink this wine, we're saying, Jesus, you are at the center of my life. Can I, actually, before I pray, could, could the band, could you, come, could you come back up? That would be really helpful. And, and it's really hot and in here. Can, should we stand? Should we just stand? You what? Okay, yeah, cool. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, I want to ask that you would come and be so manifest in this room. that you would come and fill us afresh. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen us to lift our eyes to you, Jesus. You are the one that will never forsake us. You will never leave us. And Lord, we're thankful. We're so grateful. Yeah. Yeah, Father, thank you. Just as the music plays, we ask you, Holy Spirit, come in. If there are areas in your life that you know you need to surrender to God, if there is sin in your life that you need to confess, I just encourage you now to hold that thought and say, God, I'm sorry, but I'm coming back to you I'm coming back to you and if you haven't quite been able to be honest with God before I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fall on you that you may be able to go back into the quietness of your room at home or go for a walk and there'd be a fresh sense of honesty as you talk with the Lord, knowing that his heart is always to have mercy.
And also I just feel that as we take communion, if you've never before made this clear-cut decision to say, Jesus, now I'm going to follow you and nobody else. If you need to take that first decisive step to say, this is it, Jesus, I am yours. Today is the day you could do that. You don't have to tell anybody. There come a point when you get baptised, when you're open and public. But now it's a sense of you before the Lord. And what you can do is, if you make that decision to trust in Jesus, to confess your sin, come and take communion. You're putting Jesus at the centre of your life. Father, thank you. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and have freedom in this place, we ask.